Good morning. As we continue our journey today in the book of Luke, uh, you may be thinking, yeah, we're doing Christmas a little early this year. Thought for you, question. Can God and his word be trusted? Hey, we're in church, so you know the right answer, right? Of course he can be trusted. And when life is going well, pretty well, things aren't too bad, that's an easy way to answer, right? Of course God can be trusted. His word can be trusted. But when life situations are difficult, when life situations challenge us, when they're frustrating, when they disappoint us, then we start to doubt. Then we are prone to question God's plans and timing for us. We've cried out to God and there's this long waiting period and there seems to be no answer. Heaven's silence begins to cause doubts to rise. We lose hope. When God seems to be ignoring us or we don't believe that he really cares about us, that's when we question God. And you know, it's interesting, in this story of Zechariah, we're going to be looking at Zechariah especially today, in the very moment when God was answering a prayer, his prayer, his wife's prayer, when God was moving in, in mighty ways, <laughs> he couldn't believe it. Because for so long, he had been growing in, in doubt and, and given up hope. Luke writes this gospel so that we don't give up so hope, that we believe that God's word can be trusted. This is no fairy tale. This isn't Luke's idea. This is real history. It's rooted in the truth of life that happened about 2,000 years ago. Notice in verse 5 it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. And if we were to take time to go back in history, there is proof that Herod was there, that, that, uh, that Zechariah was serving in the temple because people in that day, especially the Jews, took meticulous records. So we see that the gospel is rooted, the truth of God's rooted, not in people's ideas, but in reality because of the God who has always been there and always is there and always will be there. And the life he wants to give us in Christ, this freedom, this new life in Christ by believing in his death for our sins and the cross, when we believe that, it changes our lives. The nations are in an uproar. The nations are in motion, and most of the world is unaware of what God has promised to do. Could it be that God is about to break into history again in a mighty way like he did in Zechariah and Elizabeth Day in our day? Now hear this. <laughs> I'm not saying Jesus is going to return this year. Okay, I'm not saying Jesus is going to return in the next 20 years or the next 100 years. But Jesus could return very, very soon. It's very feasible. Think about this. Abraham. The father of the Jews lived about 2,000 years before Jesus was born. 2,000 years before Jesus was born, Abraham received promises that the nations were going to be blessed through his descendants, that the Messiah would come through him. So 2,000 years before Jesus was born, there was a promise given, and it was fulfilled 2,000 years later. Do you know how many years ago Jesus lived? <laughs> 
He was walking this earth 2,000 years ago. He was alive and here. And a promise was made at the end of his ministry before he went to heaven. And he said, I'm going to come back. It's been 2,000 years since that promise was given. Now, I'm not saying it's happening now in 2,000 years. God's not boxed in by 2,000-year boxes. But it's feasible, is it not? That in our lifetime, in this generation, Jesus could come back. What are we going to do with that truth? God keeps his promises. So what should we take away from Luke today? Know God's word and believe what it says. Be watchful, be ready. God keeps his promises. When heaven seems silent, when heaven seems to be not doing anything inactive, remember God's plans and his timing are perfect. His patience to bring his kingdom to earth is only there because it's an act of mercy so that others can believe and turn to Christ and know the hope of life everlasting as God intended through Jesus Christ. So don't doubt, don't be surprised. Instead, believe and join God's band of people who want to live for the glory of God. So consider this amazing news. Point one, God breaks his silence. That's amazing news. In verses 1 through 17, Kathy read that this morning, uh, we see Luke's style of writing. I just want you to note this because you'll be noting it all through. And if you're not aware of it, it's good to know. He told Theophilus that he was going to write an orderly account so that Theophilus is friend. And so people through the ages, the Holy Spirit had him write it. So his account is reputable because it's eyewitness. He interviewed, he researched. Luke doesn't start with Jesus, though. He starts with John the Baptist. He doesn't go directly to a prophecy, but he just connects us to the Old Testament by mentioning the promised forerunner, the promised prophet who would get people ready to meet the Messiah. So this back and forth style of Luke is a Semitic, it's a Hebrew, it's an Eastern kind of style. And, you know, movies do it these days, too. You know, there's a, there's a storyline, and then they jump from one story to a parallel story, another character. It's all one story, but they jump back and forth. And that's what Luke does. So there's the announcement of John's birth, and an angel comes, Gabriel, by the way, and there's a dramatic story here. Well, just in a few verses in chapter 1, we're going to jump to Gabriel coming to Mary and announcing Jesus' birth. And then we're going to jump back to John's birth and the joy and the amazement of everyone who was close by that, that this boy was born to this couple who, well, were beyond bearing children's age. It had happened before in Bible history, but it was happening in their day and they were amazed. It was supernatural. It wasn't normal. And then Jesus' birth is announced and and. And it's an angel's dramatic story as well. And there's joy and amazement. The shepherds, the, the wise men came a couple years later. All amazing. It says John's going to be great in the sight of God. And, and Zechariah is going to sing this amazing song when his mouth is opened up. But you know what Jesus' birth was announced by? Not some guy, some priest. Angels. Those beings that are greater than us holy 
but not God. They only worship God. And they sang his praises. Pretty neat. Luke does that so we see that John the Baptist was great, but Jesus, the Son of God, is the greatest. Zechariah doubted his faith needed to be nurtured. Mary accepted her news and her role without question. Neat lessons. But what's the point? Just know that Luke's well-crafted writing style is a really good read, okay, number one. So get into it, read it yourself, and his approach is going to highlight the themes that God wants us to know, that the Holy Spirit's truths that he wants us to believe and to hold on to, so we see, and that's Luke's intention. So Luke starts with this Zechariah and this priest and John, this priest and his wife Elizabeth, and he points us back to the forerunner. And Malachi, the last prophet to write before New Testament times, 400 years of silence. No prophet had come and give a new revelation. In Malachi chapter 3, and Malachi, by the way, is just the last book of the Old Testament, just before the New Testament and Matthew starts. In, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then one chapter over in chapter 4 of that same book in Malachi chapter 4, it says in verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So we see Luke has this really cool style of connecting Old Testament with New Testament fulfillment happening without even directly quoting the prophecy. But what I want to point out today is this, the 400 years of silence. Yeah, we were pretty quiet. 400 years, remember, Israel was in bondage in Egypt. God seemed to be not doing anything. He sent a deliverer finally in Moses after 400 years of bondage. And, he was, and they were delivered from Egypt. 400 years of silence. A little different situation, but Israel was back in the land, but they were in bondage. They were serving the Medes and the Persians in those 400 years. They were serving the Greece nation in those 400 years, and now they were under the servitude of Rome. And they were waiting for a deliverer. And God seemed to be not doing anything. And there was darkness in the land because the Pharisees, who, who wanted to have this uh, idea of 
never allowing idolatry, idolatry to come into the land again. They made all these strict man-made laws and it was a great burden. So people were blinded to the hope of God's truth and salvation. And then there was the Sadducees who, who kind of embraced the Greece and the Hellenistic views, you know, modern thinking in that time. And, and they said, there is no resurrection. There's no hope of that, but we can, we can make life better through our wisdom, through our culture, through politics and economics. And then there were the zealots who were like, they were guerrilla warfare people. They were the terrorists. They, were, they, made, they assassinated people in the Roman government. They were trying to free the Jews from this bondage so that all this turmoil was going on and there was great darkness in the land. There was bondage to sin. There was the burden of trying to get right with God and not able to do it. There was spiritual darkness. Sound like anything you're familiar with in your life and times? We live in a land of liberty, but we're in bondage to our sins. We're in bondage to our failure to improve life without God. We're frustrated because we're out of harmony with the God who made us. And it was in this time of discontent that God chose to enter history in a mighty way. And he sent John the Baptist to get people ready to meet God. So God sends Gabriel to announce this amazing news. And Gabriel stands in the very presence of God. We're going to read that in a few minutes in verse 18. Gabriel's the angel who God sent to Daniel to explain in Daniel chapter 9 the, the time frame for Israel's future. And Gabriel sent to announce the forerunner of the Messiah. When a holy angel comes and reveal, and when they come and reveal themselves in all their glory, God is doing something big. God doesn't abandon his people. Take note. He sends a messenger to let us know what's happening because God is advancing his plans in the world. I want you to know I haven't seen any holy angels in all their glory, so I'm not making an announcement today. But we need to be careful and ready. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, Jesus told a parable about ten virgins. Maybe you're familiar with the story. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for all of us, go to the dealers and buy some for yourself. So the five went to buy their oil and the bridegroom came and they were and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open up to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you watch. Therefore, for you never know, you do not know neither the day nor the hour. Watch. Zechariah was not ready for the announcement 
of this good news that was answering his prayer for God's kingdom to come. Don't be like that. Don't be like the five unwise virgins. Be ready. Be watchful, Paul wrote in Corinthians chapter 16. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all you do be done in love. And why should we do that? Because Jesus is coming back. Be ready. Have your lamps trimmed and burning and have some extra oil. Because it could be another thousand years. But be ready. This is amazing news. God is breaking his silence. He's breaking into history. Consider that news and let it teach you to be ready in our time. Secondly, consider this amazing news. God is keeping his promise and sending the forerunner. In verses 12 through 17, Zechariah is a priest. He was Lots were cast, and this was his big day. And Gabriel comes and makes this amazing announcement to him. A personal prayer was being answered. I don't know how long Zechariah and Elizabeth had been husband and wife. I don't know how long they'd been praying for a child, especially a son, to carry on the name, their name. The prayer was about to be answered. A son would be born to Elizabeth in her old age. But there, were also, there was also another prayer being answered at this day. This was the time of morning and evening prayer. And people would be outside praying for God to send a deliverer. The faithful would be asking God to be sending Messiah to come and be a blessing to the world, to be a blessing and, and free them from the bondage of Rome. That would have been one of the prayers they would have been praying there. And that prayer was being answered too. And Gabriel announces that this boy that's going to be born, this we might call it a miracle baby, sort of, his name's going to be John. And I want you to know that's not a family name. So naming reveals ownership. You know, why do, what's your dog's name or your cat's name? It's why, why do you get to name the cat or the dog or the fish or the gerbil or whatever you have? There's an ownership thing there. Well, guess who owns John? God. He gets to name him. John is God's prophet. And then there's this wonderful description of who John the Baptist is his character, his life. He will have joy, you will have joy and gladness, and many will, re will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he's supposed to be set apart to God and not be involved with strong drink. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, set apart to God. He's going to be filled with the Spirit from birth. That's grace. That's God's goodness. And it shows us how valuable children are, even in the womb. He knows us in the womb. Many will be brought back to the Lord. And he's going to come with Elijah-like power. And he's going to be preparing people to meet God. So John the Baptist has quite a resume. Are you impressed by his resume? <laughs> he's not even born yet. And this is what he's going to be doing. This is amazing news. God knew him. And he knows you.
and the billions and billions of people in the world, even before they are in the womb. Before I formed you in the womb, God told the prophet Jeremiah, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I set you apart. And David responds to that truth in Psalm 139. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. We're not John the Baptist. But if you are a follower of Christ, it's because of God's grace and his call in your life. And you're important to God, too. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 was true for for John the Baptist, and it's true for us. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, that is God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're saved by God's grace. We're saved as a gift of God, receiving this gift when we believe in Christ. And like Jeremiah the prophet, like John the Baptist, each of you has a unique calling. Each of you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. So do you know what that is? Are you seeking to find out what God has called you to do? Are you busy with with what you know he wants you to do? No longer do I call you servants, Jesus told his disciples, but I have called you friends. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit is going to last. Just like John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. We are called. We're just as valuable. We can't be John the Baptist. There's only one John the Baptist. But you have a mission from Christ to go and prepare other people to know, to be prepared to meet Jesus when they die or when he comes back. It could be very soon. We have a mission for God, from God, for the sake of the world. That's amazing news. God was breaking it into 400 years of silence. That's an amazing event. So be aware and alert. God may be moving in our times. Are you aware of his promises? Are you a part of it? Alertness to what God's doing starts with faith, with believing that Jesus is the Savior, that he died on the cross for your sins, and that all those who believe him are called and set apart to do great things in his name. We may not think they're great, but the little things we do for his glory count for eternity in the kingdom. Secondly, amazing news. God was sending John the Baptist to prepare people to meet God. Who did God send to you in your life to prepare you to meet Jesus? Do any pictures come to your mind? People, names? I hope so. And you're chosen, believer in Christ, to do the same. Who is it that God has sent you to? Who will he send you to this week? Third, 
Consider this amazing news. God walks with his people. Always with his people. I'd like to read verses 18 through 25 since we didn't read them earlier. So Zechariah's in shock. <laughs> There's an angel in the temple. And the angel Gabriel says some amazing things are about to happen in Zechariah's life, and in the national life, in the world. In verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am old, an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. God walks with his people. It was through the Jews. Salvation from sin and death is rooted in the Jewish people. Promises God has made and chosen them to be the people through whom Jesus would come. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all his descendants. And Zechariah was a part of that line in a sense where he was a priest, a servant of this God. And Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron, we find out in the first verses. But there's some amazing things said in verse 6. I, I go back to a few verses. Speaking of Zechariah and Elizabeth, God says this about them. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. That's amazing words. <laughs> Righteous before God, right with God, walking blamelessly. How can this be? This is the gospel. Just a refresher for all of us. Just remember this. The Apostle Paul took a whole bunch of Psalms and he clustered them together in Romans chapter 3. And here's what some of them say. A few of those verses say from the Psalms. Romans 3, verses 10 through 13. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So if no one is righteous, why would Luke tell us that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous? This is the good news of the gospel. Righteous people live by faith. <laughs> so Paul tells us a little bit later in Romans chapter 3, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. 
So I can be right with God, not by doing anything, but by believing. That's the good news of the gospel. Christ has made the payment for sins. And if we trust in him, we can be made right with God, have peace with God, and not be afraid to meet God or even a holy angel because our standing with God is based on Christ's righteousness, none of our own. And I just ask you this this morning, have you received this gift? And if you haven't, what's stopping you? Because you cannot make yourself holy enough to stand in God's presence and live forever. Won't you believe? But Zechariah and Elizabeth did believe. And what made them blameless? Their faith in God made them blameless before God. The righteous live by faith. They walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They were walking with the Lord. They were walking to please the Lord. They were walking in life to grow in their understanding of the Lord. It doesn't mean they were sinless. But when they sinned, they confessed it. They understood their standing with God and they asked for his mercy and grace. They leaned on him and God viewed them as blameless. We can too. But they were barren. No child. They'd prayed for a child. And that was a heavy burden in Jewish culture. It was a weighty affliction. It was a bitter sorrow. Having children was seen as being blessed by God. Having children meant that you would have heirs and a line of people that would someday look forward to Messiah coming in his kingdom. And you would enter that kingdom together. To be a part of that was what they they longed for. To be childless was seen that that God was displeased with you, that you weren't really being fruitful and multiplying as he blessed Adam and Eve in the garden before they sinned. So being childless was this terrible trial. And it, it can still be a trial for people who desire children and can't have them in our own times. So here was a couple who was blameless before God. They were trusting in God. They believed in him and they were trying to serve him well. But their peers would look at them and say, wow, there's something fishy here. Why hasn't God blessed them? Maybe they're not as holy as they're pretending or or maybe their fathers and, and distant relatives sin great and they're being punished for all that. There's all kinds of thinking that would have been going on. This just reminds us that God's favor when he makes us his children, blameless and righteous, doesn't exempt us from life's deep disappointments. They prayed and asked God to bless them with a son or even a daughter, but heaven had not answered, and Zechariah was doubting it. Every time a young couple in their neighborhood had a child, even when they went and celebrated that moment with their neighbors, we can imagine the hurt they felt when they went home late awake at night. Or when one of their priestly friends in their community invited or welcomed a new grandchild into the home. There would be just this little, oh, why not us? Lord, why have you chosen this path for us? We know you're good, but Lord, we wonder why. If you live long enough, 
you're going to be hit with disappointment and frustrations and sadness in life. Many of you have weathered them. Some of you are in the middle of it right now. Disappointed with how life is being lived out in your life. What is God doing, we ask? Why is he putting me, us, through this? Why won't he answer? Why won't he relieve our stress? So how should people like Zechariah and Elizabeth, who, who for years were waiting and nothing happens, how do you trust in the Lord and, and respond in life when disappointments run deep? Just remember this, God walks with his people. He never abandons his people. Those to look at him in faith will not be disappointed. Joy will come into their life, if not in this world, when Jesus comes back or when they meet him when they die. There will be joy untold and it will be worth it. And if you doubt that, just read Hebrews chapter 11 today. And just see that people trusted God. And even though they never got what they hoped for in this life, God says they, will receive, they have received much. Go to Hebrews 11 when you doubt God's goodness. So we learn from Zechariah's faithfulness and his doubting. By the way, do you know what Zechariah's name means? No. God remembers. Wow, that's kind of ironic, isn't it? God remembers. He remembers our prayers. He remembers his promises. He, re he will do what he says. Don't doubt it. So here was his big day as a priest, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity serving outside, but now he gets to go into the temple. In the morning and evening, there were prayers offered, a time of prayer at the morning and evening sacrifices, and he got to go in and throw incense on the altar of incense, which would have a fire, and those, it would turn into smoke, and that smoke represented or was a symbol of God's prayers going up to the Lord in heaven. So this was his big day, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and he's, he's going in to serve the Lord. And unknown to him, the people are praying outside. Unknown to him, I wonder if he even said, Lord, would it be possible for a son to be born to my wife? Did he give up on that prayer? We don't know, but God was answering his prayer that day. The personal request and a greater request. The Messiah was about to come. Above what he could imagine. Oh, and by the way, Zechariah was really frightened when Gabriel appeared to him. Do you know why? Because there wasn't supposed to be anybody else in the temple. <laughs> so when somebody else showed up in all his glory, it's like, yeah, you, you know what I'm surprised at? That the guy even was able to have a conversation with Gabriel. I would have been speechless, I think. But he doubts. How can this be, he says, for I am old and my wife is old. We're advanced in years. <laughs> I love Gabriel's answer. I stand in God's presence. You think about that. That's a big deal. And he came to Zechariah, the angel who stands in God's presence, and says, here's what's going to happen. And Zechariah is doubting it. You know, it's the way it is, isn't it, though? Like, it's natural. We're under sin's curse. We're old. It's too late for us to have children. He should have known. He probably he knew the stories of Abraham and Sarah and, and others in the Bible who had children in old age. But 
You know, when you get beat up by life, your hands droop, your knees get achy and, and droop a little bit, and it just, you're beat up by life, and our faith wavers. But God keeps his promise, and God never gives up on us. I love what Gabriel did. Okay, Zechariah, you won't believe God's word. You're asking all these questions. We're having this conversation and you're doubting. You're not believing what God is saying. <laughs> Heaven's throne is speaking to you directly today. And you're doubting it. You want a sign. You want proof. So here's going to be the sign. Sit down and you're going to be quiet for nine to 12 months. And just watch what God's going to do. You won't believe? Well, then we're going to nurture your faith along, and you're going to really be believing at the end of 9 to 12 months, or, whenever, or whatever time it was. Even when we doubt, God comes alongside his people, his chosen ones, and he walks with them. God was disciplining Zechariah, but not to cast him away, not to make him feel miserable, but to draw him closer. And that's what God does when he disciplines you. When we doubt, when troubles come our way, God's not hating you. He's loving you. He wants you to run to him. I just point this out. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach. For years she had felt shamed, unworthy, less than others, but she never grew bitter toward God. She served him faithfully through all those years, and her faith was rewarded. God has broken his silence. God is speaking now through his written word. God is not silent. Listen to Jesus. Believe he's returning to rule and to reign. Be alert to God's spirit working around us. Are you aware? Are you ready to be a part of rescuing others to enter that kingdom? Be prepared to meet him and prepare others to meet him. Don't refuse his salvation or you will suffer terribly in disappointment forever in the lake of fire. God keeps his promises. God is faithful and he walks with his children. Started the sermon with a question. Can God be trusted? Can his word be trusted? Are you trusting that what he says will happen? Let's pray. Lord God, we are prone to doubting your will, that it's good and perfect and best for us. And Lord, your truth in, in Luke today just helps us walk in assurance that you truly are present. Consider your promises and consider these truths. It's real. Help us to believe it even more. Strengthen those who are in the middle today of deep disappointments in life. Let them see the hope that you are walking with them, that your promises and trusting Christ are true, that you will lead them into your presence. Lord, give us faith when we doubt. And we ask you to do this for your honor and glory so that other people will see that Jesus is truly Lord and Savior. In your name we ask it. Amen.